0: You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today we are in week three of a series called Truly Free, Truly Free, and this is, we actually get this from John chapter eight, verse 36, it's our theme verse for this series, where Jesus himself says, so if the Son, capital S, Son, meaning Jesus, if Jesus sets you free, you are truly free. And I want you to know that for months I've been praying this over your life. I've been, I've been praying that in this series that you would experience freedom like you never have before. I've been praying that you would encounter the presence of God in such a real way that God would literally transform your life over This series and that you wouldn't settle for anything less than being truly free not just a little bit free But be truly free and this week if you're taking notes Which I hope you are there's going to be a lot of content today a lot of verses today I want to talk to you about the two main systems God has given us to be free That's what we're going to talk about today the two main systems that God has given us to to be free. It is not a very exciting title, but it is very clear. That's what we're going to talk about today, okay? These two systems. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment, but first, let's start with a little bit of history. Because if you've been uh, this is week three, so in, if, you've, if you've been able to be here for the first two weeks, we started week one with creation. So we started with the very first book of the Bible, and we started with creation. But then last week, we actually picked up right after that, and we started talking about four different generations from the same exact family that's found in the book of Genesis. The first book of the Bible, we talked about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then we ended last week with Joseph. And the book, of, the book of Genesis actually ends with Joseph being second in command in Egypt. And after a severe famine hits that entire region, his entire family ends up moving to Egypt. They get reconciled as a family. And then for the rest of their lives, Joseph takes care of them in Egypt. But then the Bible says that the family grows And they eventually turn into what we know now today as the Israelites, the chosen people of God. And then the second book of the Bible, Exodus, it actually continues their story. And we see this in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. It says that while in Egypt, they they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and they filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country, So the Egyptians made the Israelites, the people of God, their slaves. In other words, they ended up taking away their freedom. And so they appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. And then right after that, the Exodus story introduces a guy by the name of Moses, who God handpicks to lead the people of God out of slavery. And after a long process and 10 plagues, God frees them from their slavery, and he tells them, here, guys, I'm gonna actually take you out of Egypt, and I'm gonna take you to what I'm gonna call the promised land. But there would be a time in between. So there would be a time in between that they would leave Egypt there, there, where they were slaves until the time that they would be in the promised land. So there's this time in between, and the Bible calls it the wilderness. Now, if you read through this story, which pretty much goes through the rest of the book of Exodus, here's what you're going to find. It's so interesting. Any time that their journey wasn't easy, any they encountered opposition or challenges, here's what you'll find. They kept wanting to go back to Egypt, Let me show you some examples in Exodus chapter 14. An Egyptian army, this is right after they're freed. An Egyptian army is actually chasing them to bring them back to Egypt. And listen to their response in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. The Bible says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, their leader, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness this time in between? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Now, if I'm Moses right there, I'm like, because you were slaves. What are you talking about? Why did I make you leave Egypt? Do you want to be a slave? I was like, because that's why we did it. And then they go on. And they say, didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave. Hear the drama in their voice. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. So much drama. Now, two chapters later, they actually had a period where where there was very little food. And so they were hungry. And listen to their response. As soon as they got hungry, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, when they were hangry, it says, If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There, in Egypt, when we were slaves, we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Ah, the good old days when we were slaves. But now, you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. The very next chapter... After God supernaturally provides food, by the way, the next chapter, there's very little water. So they're very thirsty. We'll listen to their response in Exodus chapter 17, verse 3. But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with their leader, with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why? Because you were slaves. Are you trying to kill us, our children? And our livestock with thirst just just so dramatic over and over and over again in the book of Exodus every time there was problems every time that things weren't going their way it was like there was this gravitational pull back to Egypt there was like this gravitational pull back to their slavery now, here's what I want you to see. This is so important for you to understand when you're reading through that story. I want you to notice, this is so important, that they were out of Egypt, but Egypt was actually still inside of them. So they were out of Egypt. They were no longer slaves. They were actually physically out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. In other words, they were free, but they were acting thinking and living like slaves now before we sit here and look at them and roll our eyes and become just too judgy on them how many you know the truth is it's so easy for us to do the same thing today right like it, it is so easy for us to go back to the same in fact if you if you are here today if you're watching online and you are a christian if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've said yes to the free gift of grace and you have received that, and in return you have given him your life, if you've done that, the Bible says this is what you have ex- experienced in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says that anyone who has made that decision, who belongs to Christ, has become a brand new person. The old life, before you made that decision, oh, it's gone, baby. But a new life has begun. But how many of you know that if you're honest, that's not what you live, that you're not living this brand new life? How many of you know that it is so easy when, you, when, you, when you're following Jesus to not live that new life, but to actually have this gravitational pull back to your old life, to the, to the same self-destructive beha- behaviors, to the same unhealthy habits to the same like toxic ways of thinking, to the same sin patterns over over and over and over and over and over and over again, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year in some cases. And even for some of us, decade after decade. I know I'm a new person, but I keep going back to this old life. The truth is you're out of Egypt But Egypt is still in you, too. You're free. You are. You're free. Jesus paid for you to be free, but you're still acting and thinking and living like a slave. Like you're a new person, but you keep acting like the old person. Now, let me just ask you a very simple but honest question today. How many of you, by show of hands, you don't want to live life like that anymore? How many of you, by show of hands, come on, let's raise them up high, how many of you want to be free and you want to stay free? I know I do. Like, I just don't want to experience just a little bit of freedom, momentary freedom. I want to experience freedom and I want to stay free. Well, I've got some good news today because God has given us two main systems for us to be free. Now, a system is simply a tool to accomplish vision. I'm an organizational nerd. I love stuff like this. I love like vision and mission and, and values. And I love I love a good system. But I don't love systems because I love systems. I love systems because systems accomplish vision. And so a system is simply a tool to accomplish vision. Let me say it this way: um, a system is a tool to get you to where you want to be. So let's think about this: a budget is a system that is designed to help you accomplish the vision of being a good steward and having financial responsibility. Some of y'all don't even know what a budget is, but I'm telling you that's why it exists. It's it's because a vision is to help you be financially responsible. Diet and exercise is not just diet and exercise. Diet and exercise are systems that are designed to help you accomplish the vision of being physically healthy. And God has given us two main systems to help us accomplish the vision that he has for our lives for us to not just be free, but to stay free. And here's the two systems. Let's start with number one. Write this down. The first system that God has given us is something called discipleship. Now, this is a pretty churchy word. It's a word that you hear in church all the time. It uh, kind of can feel Christianese, like this language you only hear in church. You don't ever really hear it anymore, but it's an important word. It's a word that you see used all throughout the Bible. It's a word that you see Jesus himself use. In fact, in the Great Commission, he says, you're to be a disciple and you are to make a disciple. Now, a disciple, let me just break it down this way, is simply a follower of Jesus. It's someone who not only learns the ways of Jesus, but it's somebody who then practices the ways of Jesus. It's someone who, let me say it this way, follows the example of Jesus in every single area of their life. I love how Dallas Willard puts this. His definition of discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I love that. I think that is a great description of what that word is, is that it's this process, it's a system of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you because guess what? The ways of Jesus work today in 2023 just like they did when he said them, just like when he lived them. And so that's what discipleship is. And this is one—this is a system, this is one of the the process, this process is one of the main systems that God has given us to experience freedom. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Think about the root word of discipleship. The root word of discipleship is actually discipline. So think about this. Some of the things that you may keep going back to over and over and over again, your old way of life before Jesus, that it could be a discipleship issue. Let me say it this way. It could be a discipline issue. There's a lack of discipline in your life in that area that leads to repeating the same behavior over and over and over again. So what all goes underneath the umbrella of discipleship? Well, here are some things that would be described as discipleship. Here's a long list, I don't have time to go through each and every one of them, but if you were to ask me, what does discipleship practically look like? This is not an exhaustive list, it's not the full list, but this is a list of some of the things that I would say that go under the umbrella of discipleship. Now, all these are disciplines that God has given us that helps us become better disciples, better followers of Jesus. And all these things, every single one of them, if you implement them into your life, play a part in the process of you becoming free. And so maybe you're here, and something that you don't do in your life regularly is read the Bible. And that's not to bring shame on you, but just maybe the reality of your life right now is that you're not engaging in the word of God except for one time a week on a Sunday. And by the way, it doesn't matter how good that meal is if you only eat once a week, you are malnourished. Let me just say that. And maybe this is just not part. Well, let me tell you why that matters in this process because remember, being a disciple is being a follower of Jesus and, and, and you will not follow someone you don't know. And the Bible, in my humble yet accurate opinion, is the best way to get to know who Jesus is. So how can you follow the ways of Jesus if you don't know the ways of Jesus? How, like, how can you follow Jesus if you don't know Jesus. See, the Bible in 2 Second, in Second Timothy, I'm sorry, chapter three, verse 16 and 17, in the message paraphrase, says that every part of this book is God-breathed, like God wrote it. And it's useful one way or another. Listen, listen, listen to this through the lens of discipleship. Doesn't this sound like discipleship? Showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. But the truth is, this book can't do all those things if we never read it. Like, this book cannot show us truth or expose our rebellion or correct our mistakes or train us to live God's way if we never read it. Now, some of the answers I believe with all my heart, some of you right now, you are going through things over and over and over again, and some of the answers that you need to be free it's found in the perfect, alive Word of God. And so maybe you are repeating the same things over and over again because this isn't consistently in your life. Listen, that is a discipleship issue that will require some discipline. Or maybe you don't have any healthy friendships in your life. You have no biblical community. You are living life completely alone. Like right now, you either have nobody in your life or you have the wrong people in your life. The people in your life are consistently pulling you away from God, not pushing you closer to God. Well, if that's the case, you it'll be very hard for you to experience James chapter 5 verse 16 that says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Let me say that verse a different way. Take what's ever in the dark, take whatever you're repeating over and over again, the thing that brings you shame, take it into the light, and then you will experience not guilt, not shame, not condemnation, not judgment, you will experience freedom. And so some of you are repeating the same thing over and over again because you don't have that in your life. You don't have anybody you can say, hey, here's what's going on. Will you pray for me? That's a discipleship issue. And that will require some discipline for you to be able to figure out how to get the right relationships in your life. You see, discipleship is one of the main systems that God gives us to be free. But it is not the only system. And honestly, that's the one that we talk about the most here. We're going to talk, but there is another system because there are some things in life that no matter how disciplined we are, that we keep going back to them. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, that no matter how much you go through a season where I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and I'm going to church and I'm doing everything that's on that list, I'm serving, I'm giving, I'm tithing, I have healthy boundaries, I have accountability, I have the right godly community in my life, but these issues keep coming back over and over and over again. It's like there's this gravitational pull back to these old things, these old thinking, these old patterns, and in those situations, you may not need just discipleship. You may need the second main system as well, and this is one that we don't talk a lot about that I don't think there'll be a lot of applause when I say this one, but we have to talk about it. And it's number two, deliverance. Some of you are freaked out by that word. You're like, where is this about to go? All right, I knew the church was weird. I knew it. <laughs> no, no, we're good. We're, we're going to make it through this. Tap your neighbor and say, we're good, we're good, we're good, okay? So there is, there is this discipleship. That's a very important system that God gave us. But there's also this other system that when you read throughout the Bible, and it's deliverance. And this is just a really churchy, fancy word. I just honestly picked it because they both had D in it, okay? Maybe you'll remember it. <laughs> but it's, it's like deliverance is where you are supernaturally delivered, miraculously delivered from something that is keeping you from being free. Doesn't that sound awesome? Awesome. Like for the power, for you to experience the power of God in a way where something has changed in a moment. See, this is what Paul, he talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This verse makes it very clear Our battle is not against other people. It's not against flesh and blood. But there's this other battle that is going on. And according to the Bible, we have a very real enemy called the devil who has an army, just like they talked about, that has all these rulers and authorities, these mighty powers. He has an army. And a lot of times they can be described as demons. And according to John chapter 10, verse 10, The enemy has one goal and one goal only, and that is to steal and to kill and to destroy everything good in your life. And so I know that it's uncharted territory sometimes, but as a pastor, I need to make sure that you're aware that this is real, that the devil is real, demons are real, spiritual warfare, if you've ever heard that, is real. And I know that can be really hard, for us to believe? Because it's, I think it's so hard for us in 2023 to, to believe in things that just aren't fully there. And maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable. Maybe there was like some very warped version of this in your past. Where you're like, nope, I'm out. I don't, that is not, but maybe it's scary to you. But let me say, like, if, if you don't believe, if we just say, uh-uh, I'm out. Like, if we don't believe... In these things, and you have to cut out a lot of the Bible, including a ton of Jesus's ministry. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. He has this amazing quote that I think really, um, like, beautifully articulates this tension that we feel a lot of times with this. And he says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, humanity, can can fall about the devils and spiritual warfare. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, meaning the devil, are equally pleased with both errors. See, C.S. Lewis, he says, hey, guys, when it comes to this subject, there are two massive extremes that it's so easy to see whenever this topic comes up. One extreme is the under-spiritual approach, It's where none of this stuff is real. The devil and demons, they don't exist. Let's move on. I'm going to put my finger in my ears and say, la, 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 don't talk to me about that. That's one extreme. Then there's another extreme. That's the over-spiritual approach. How many of you seen anybody like that? It's where everything is this. Everything is a devil. Everything's a demon. Everything. It's like, I mean, you ever heard the expression, like, there's a demon under every single rock? It's like every bad thing that's experienced, demon, demon, demon. Like, it's this over, this over spiritual approach. Now, there are some people that whenever this topic comes up, like, maybe it's even happening right now. Inside, there's this narrative that says, come on, Pastor Brian, let's not talk about this stuff. But then... I think there's other people in the same exact room. You could be sitting by him right now that says, oh, good, Pastor Brian, you're finally getting to the good stuff. Let's go. Listen, both extremes are unhealthy. And so, and I think one thing that really catches a lot of people off guard is when they read the Bible and, and they see this word, that is often in there, especially if you read the Gospels. If you read through the the story of Jesus, you'll see it come up over and over again, and it's this word demon-possessed. Like, I don't like that word. It It freaks me out a little bit, but here's what's so important for you to know. Listen, I'm gonna help you right here. In the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, there are two words for the word possessed or possession. There's two words. One of those words means ownership. And the other word means to gain mastery over, or even better, here's a good way to say it, is that the other word means to gain influence over. So when you see the phrase demon-possessed in the Bible in the New Testament, it doesn't use the word that means ownership. It uses the word that means to gain influence over. So let me show you one example, Matthew chapter nine, verse 32 through 33. It says, when they left, Here's the word, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak, and the crowds were amazed. He experienced deliverance. But again, that word, demon-possessed, here, it doesn't mean ownership. So that demon did not own that person. It means to gain influence over. So can you be owned by a demon? No. Listen, we are owned by God. Can I get a good amen right there? We are owned by God. You do not have to fear that. But can you be under the influence of a demon? Absolutely. Let me explain it this way. Maybe this will be a good way to understand it. Imagine a person just gets hammered drunk. So imagine that that happened. Or somebody, like, does a lot of drugs. And in that state... They end up actually doing something very embarrassing that's out of character that they actually regret later. It's just a simple question. Does the alcohol or drugs own that person? No. But are they under the influence of those things? Absolutely. See, that's why I think the Bible and its sovereignty where Peter, when he writes this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, uses very intentional language when talking about this stuff. And he says, be alert and of sober mind. I want, you to be so, I want you to think clearly of this. I don't want you to be influenced in this area. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So this stuff is real. The devil is real. Demons are real, and they can really affect our lives. And maybe some of the things that you keep going back to over and over and over again, these areas where you cannot experience freedom, it may not just be a discipleship issue. It may not just be because you need to read your Bible more, you need to come to church more, you need to pray more, you need to more, 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 more. Maybe it's because there is a level of spiritual attack and that's not a discipleship issue. That's a deliverance issue. So God, he gives us these two main systems to experience freedom, discipleship and deliverance. And listen, both are important. Both are needed. And here's why. I love this quote from Dr. Jack Hayford. When I saw it, I was like, that's it. This is why it's so important because you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. That's why both of these are so important, because what what you can do is you can cast out a demon, and you can disciple the flesh. So the big question today is, well, so do we need discipleship, or do we need deliverance? Here's my answer. Yes. 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 We need discipleship so bad. Come on, we need to look more like Jesus. We need to learn about Jesus. We need to practice the ways of Jesus. But we also, there's gonna be times where we need supernatural power to be delivered from things. We also need deliverance. Now, let me give you a practical example that I hear almost every single week for the last 20 years being in full-time ministry. I've heard this from men. I've heard this from women. I've heard this from young, old, you name it, married, every single stage of life. I have conversations all the time with people who are struggling with porn. They can't stop. I, can't, I keep going back to that over and over and over and over again, thinking, okay, if I just get married, then I'll stop. No, over and over and over again. Okay, when I reach my 40s, then I'll, no, over and over and over again. I have conversations every time. And maybe it's just an area where I cannot get freedom. And maybe it's a discipleship issue. Maybe because there is a lack of discipline in certain areas of your life. Maybe you don't read the Bible. So you're not constantly hearing the truth of God's word and letting him talk to you about that. You're not hearing like the strategy that he has for that in first Corinthians chapter six and second Timothy chapter two, where he says, Hey, run from sexual sin. And maybe you're fighting, but that that's not the strategy. The fighting is not to fight. the, The strategy is not to fight It's to run. And maybe you're not praying, so you're not relationally connecting with God. And so whenever that moment comes, God just feels so far away because I feel like, man, I don't even have any relationship with him. Maybe that issue is in the dark and you never told anybody. And so you're just struggling alone and you're trying by yourself to just get better and it's just not working. Maybe you have no accountability in your life. Maybe you have no healthy boundaries to actually help you succeed and all those things. Listen, that's a discipleship issue. That is a discipline. Like Some of that stuff can actually be conquered by having the disciplines that Jesus gave us to be able to live the way that he always intended for us to live. But maybe for some of you, you've done all those things. You've done all the discipleship things. You know the truth. You consistently read the Bible. You pray. You've confessed. You brought it into the light. You've confessed so many times to the same people that you're embarrassed to confess again because it's like, again? And so you just feel so overwhelmed by guilt and shame, and I've confessed, and I've done the things, and I had the boundaries. And it's still somehow just going back. It's coming up again and again. It's almost like it owns you. And maybe, just maybe, it's not solely a discipleship issue. Maybe you're also dealing with a spirit of lust. And it doesn't own you. But maybe you're under the influence. And through the authority of Jesus and the authority, and the bigness of Jesus' name, and the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to cast it out of your life. But whether it's a discipleship issue, or whether it's a deliverance issue, here's the good news. And I know it's been quiet. I know I've been serious. I know that this is some heavy stuff. It's deep into the pool. We got to think about this stuff. We got to wrestle with it. But whether it's that issue, whether it's discipleship, whether it's a deliverance issue, here's the good news that should make you smile today and fill you with hope because Jesus has the power to set you free no matter what the circumstance is. Listen, Jesus has the power to set you free. I don't care how long you've been struggling with something. Jesus has the power to set you free. That does not have to define you the rest of your life. You will not have to struggle with it the rest of your life because Jesus has the power to set you free. In fact, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, we're, and we will end here today, is in, is in Mark chapter five. And it's when Jesus heals a guy that has been impacted with such spiritual warfare. He's struggling with so many demons that when Jesus asks him his name, the demon, not the man, the demon responds and says, my name is Legion because we are many. There's a whole bunch of us inside of this guy. Now, the word legion is a Roman military term that means, get this, 6,826 soldiers. That's a lot of demons. That guy was like under some serious spiritual warfare. I mean, that guy was struggling. Almost 7,000 demons. And the Bible actually says that this guy that he's so impacted by this spiritual warfare that he actually lives in a graveyard. And that people, in an attempt to keep him at bay, kept putting shackles on him, but the demons were so strong, the Bible says that he kept ripping out of those shackles. So imagine this guy that has all these shackles all over his arms with chains hanging back, but showing him that even though he was free, he wasn't free. And I want you to see this man that he's in a graveyard, shackled up in chains, bursting out. And then it says that he went around howling and that he was tormented so much that he consistently just cut himself with sharp stones over and over and over again. And on top of all that, if you read Luke's account of this story, it says that on top of all that, he was buck naked. Imagine the scene. Don't imagine the scene, okay? Don't, don't. Not that last part. But just imagine this guy so impacted by that. By the way, I'm confident that none of y'all are as jacked up as that guy was. None of y'all are under the influence of the demise like he was. First of all, let me check. Yep, you all got your clothes on. So well done. Way to go. But here's what I want you to see. I, I honestly, I don't believe that in the Bible, and I may be wrong, but I don't know if there was anybody as jacked up as this guy in the entire Bible. And even with him being that jacked up, even with him being under that much spiritual attack, even with him being under the influence of 6,826 demons, Listen, none of that kept him from coming to Jesus. Here's a beautiful verse that we see in Mark chapter 5, verse 6, and then we're going to respond. It says, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. And if you keep reading... Jesus would go on to set him free. So here's the good news that I have for you today that we can see from Mark chapter five, that no matter what you're going through, Satan and his entire army of demons does not have the power to keep you from coming to Jesus. That does not have the power to stop you from experiencing true and lasting freedom. Listen, if they couldn't stop him, From coming to Jesus, they can't stop you from coming to Jesus. So if you're here today and you are struggling with a sin or a pattern or a way of thinking or something over and over again, you can't stop these unhealthy patterns and and habits and behaviors that you keep going back to over and over again if there's some area of your life that feels like no matter what you do that you can't seem to break free no matter what you have done in your past no matter the labels that other people will throw on you no matter what the narrative of your life has been no matter the family that you grew up in no matter what you did last year last decade last night that no matter who you are no matter what you've been through I I am here to tell you the good news that Jesus has the power to set you free. Listen, Jesus has the power to set you free. You don't have to keep going through that. Jesus has the power to set you free. I don't care how long you struggle with this. Jesus has the power to set you free and get this, not just a little bit free, but just like our theme verse says, he came to set you free truly free come on is anybody excited that jesus came to set you free that he has the power if there's anything in your life that we can pray for please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer for the latest updates on our church follow us on social media at People or visit queencitypeople.com